flat right now. Uh, but the Nikkei 225 in Japan is rebounding from Friday's losses following the resignation of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. It's up about 1.4% at the moment. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 220 points or so at the open, which will take the index to about 25,670. In the commodities markets, gold is at $1,973 an ounce. Uh, Brent crude oil also moving up this morning. It's at 40, $46.13 a barrel. And not much movement in the currency markets. The US dollars at 105 and a third Japanese yen. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse after the news. The weather forecast, sunny periods, isolated showers and thunderstorms. It is going to be very hot. The weather, very hot weather warning is in force. Maximum temperature of about 33 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be persistently very hot with weak winds in the next few days and some isolated showers. Temperature right now is 29 degrees out at the observatory and 78% relative humidity. 831, Samantha Butler has the half-hour news. An infectious disease expert says the government's claim that mass testing can help Hong Kong open up more quickly isn't true because if the scheme reveals a large number of asymptomatic carriers, it would make authorities more cautious. Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong also says the number of cases in Hong Kong should be at zero before authorities relax any more social distancing measures. The best thing we can hope for is, is zero positives. So testing hundreds of thousands of people and finding that none of them have COVID and that we, we weren't missing a large number of asymptomatic infections in the community. Because the danger for Hong Kong is that when we get down to zero cases on a daily basis, there might still be some asymptomatic cases in the community. And if we relax all the measures too quickly, then we'll have a resurgence. Uh, that didn't happen to us in March, of course, in April, but it could happen this time. The government says more than 430,000 people have signed up for its mass testing programme with 80 testing centres fully booked for tomorrow when the scheme starts. A senior official in Wisconsin says the US state doesn't want a visit from President Trump tomorrow. The White House said the president would survey damage from recent riots in the city of Kenosha, where police officers shot an unarmed black man, Jacob Blake, a week ago. Wisconsin's Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, a Democrat, said the president wasn't welcome. And Chris Larson, a Democratic state senator in Wisconsin, echoed the governor's response. I think uh, most of us who've been trying to, to hope that the community would heal, uh, that we would be able to find a way to get the, the two sides speaking and be able to uh, find a way forward are pretty, pretty horrified, given that his one of his main advisors has said publicly that they think that violence and the rioting is, is good for him politically. For the third successive Sunday, democracy demonstrators have thronged the streets of the Belarusian capital Minsk in their tens of thousands. Crowds marched through the city chanting, long live Belarus. But the atmosphere was very different from previous protests, with police moving in swiftly to arrest or take away scores of people. This woman saw her husband detained by police officers. You know, it's, uh, it's terrible, really terrible. I feel a big fear inside of me and uh, it's destroying me. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chilverson, your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Two topics today, mass testing 
and Donald Trump. More than 430,000 people have signed up online for the Universal Community Testing Programme since the bookings opened at the weekend. 80 community testing centres were fully booked for tomorrow when the programme opens. Yesterday, the chief executive said that as soon as the government announced details about the free test, some lawmakers began looking for excuses to smear the programme and appealed to members of the public to boycott the test using scaremongering tactics. She said what those lawmakers done was infuriating. Beijing said such a smear by Hong Kong-based anti-China troublemakers shows a gross disregard of Hong Kong residents' safety and health and is malicious. Well, what do you think of the government's arrangements? Will you take part? After nine, we're going to be talking about the re-election chances of Donald Trump. Will he keep America great or will America say you're fired? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk. Or you can give us a call on our telephone number is 233-88266, 233-88266. Just before we get to uh, today's topic, one email from Kim uh, relating to our discussion on Friday uh, with uh, Claudia Moe, is one of the guests. Kim says, another eye-opening talk on the show this morning from Claudia Moe's responses to your host questions and your listeners' message, listeners messages questioning why the pan-democrats have not condemned the violence against innocent citizens and have not acknowledged that the 721 Yunlong incident involved violence on both sides, it seems to me that she deliberately avoided addressing the questions and focused on attacking Chris Tang, a very common overused tactic of pan-democrats to avoid civil debates, civil debates and focus only on their core attacks on the authorities. It sounded like she wanted to, the rule of the law to apply only to those people protesters disliked or disagreed with and that there should not be any legal consequences for protesters who committed acts of violence to citizens and bystanders. Ironically, the more you let her rant on your show, the more disservice she did to the pro-democracy movement. If someone like Claudia Moe obtains power in a government, fascism will rule. Uh, Kim, thanks very much indeed for for that uh, message. Uh, We're going to turn to uh, medical matters now. Of course, though, they do overlap with uh, politics uh, in this particular case. We're joined by Dr Gabriel Choi, who's president of the Hong Kong Medical Association, and Dr David Lam, who's chairman of a group called Medical Conscience and also a private surgeon. Uh, Dr Choi, good morning to you. Morning. Uh, so we have 430,000 people so far signing up. How do you think that's going? Do you think that's successful? Well, it depends on what is an adequate number. Uh, this may not be an adequate number uh, if we are looking at 5 million. But if we are looking at, uh, at the end of the day, if we are looking at 2 million, then this may be the uh, number at the very start. Taking, uh, good morning, Dr. Troy. Taking our overall population of 7, 7.5 million, what number would you like to see uh, as giving us a really best possible guide? Well, the best number would be 7.5 million, of course. Right. But, uh, but the secretary uh, for food and uh, health had actually at the very start uh, hoped for a number of 5 million. Well, I, I seem to recall that. One of the things that puzzles me, I'm afraid, is that everything seems to become so politicised that as soon as this scheme was announced, people, some people jumped in to criticise it, um, apparently on the basis that it was Carrie Lam advocating it and the mainland was involved. But other people, when other people had sort of, if you like, professional questions, they were also attacked as being somehow unpatriotic. Um, why, why is this? Why can't we just have a professional discussion? Um, 
ask our government for for the answer because uh, actually this was this is a very hurried uh, program is uh, to be done from the very start uh, till now is about two and a half weeks so this is this is very cramped and uh, at the very start uh, government in, initially planned for this to be done at the general practitioner's office at the doctor's office instead of uh, at these mass centers. So this, this this change in plan was also very done was also done very hurriedly, and uh, this imposed or this created a lot of suspicion and uh, uh, guesswork, and so that people doubt the the background reason for the test being done. Uh, you, you've expressed doubt about this, Dr. Choi. Um, um, do you intend to have the test? Do you think it will be useful? Are you going to do it? Uh, about two weeks ago, I actually uh, spoke in the, uh, on the radio about this, and I said I would join the testing program. I would be involved in taking the swabs and, and, and uh, uh, joining the program uh, but, uh, so that to avoid being... Uh, Okay, so you'll help out with the program, but you won't take the test? Yes. Why won't you take the test? Uh, this is a voluntary program. If I need to take the test, I would prefer the deep throat saliva test. Uh, okay. Yeah, all right. Dave, Dr. Dr. Lamb. Yeah, David Lamb. Good morning to you. Hello, Dr. Lamb? Hello? Yes. Yes, yes. Hello. Good morning to you. Yeah, sorry, we have some little interference there. Um, uh, so, what's your? How do you think the test is going? How do you think this uh, this number four hundred thirty thousand people? Uh, well, obviously, we hope to have more. Yes, we hope to have more. Okay. How, how will you get more? How will you think you'll persuade people? Well, I think the government and everyone out there is trying to persuade people to go there. Uh, the most important thing is that. The success of any program such as these hinges on the number. The more people comes out to have the test, the higher the chance we pick up those who are actually carrying the disease and doesn't have symptoms. And if we isolate them early from society, treat them and contact trace them, we will be able to kind of make society cleaner with less viruses going around and you reduce any possibility of resurgence afterwards. Why so I think we have to let the people know it is something useful, it is something effective, it is something scientific, and it is nothing political there. Right. But some of people have said that it, this worked in the mainland because there was a total lockdown and then virtually 100% testing. Um, and if you've got the two things going together, then you do find everybody who's a silent carrier. Um, and you can take action by isolating them and, and having further tests and so on. But we're not doing it together with uh, a lockdown, and, and it's not going to be 100%. It's voluntary. So no, we, uh, yeah. aren't there going to be cracks here? No, we don't have a lockdown here. And uh, you're quite right that to be theoretically most effective, all right, so you do it in a mandatory way, you do it within a few days or even one day if possible, and you free society. But is that possible? That is not possible. 
But does that mean it's just useless? As someone out there said, it's just useless. All right. Now, when we treat patients, we are doctors. Now, okay, first of all, I'm a surgeon, as you mentioned. I'm not an expert in infectious disease. I'm not an expert in epidemiology. I'm not an expert in microbiology. I'm just a doctor, given my personal opinion, all right, but based on science. Okay, when we treat people, and I tell them, fine, sir, you have a disease. Well, it's malignant. It's a cancer. If we treat it, you run a 60 to 70% chance of a cure. So can you say, oh, it's useless, it's not, it's not 100%, so I'm not going to do it. Is that a way we are dealing with things like that? No. Mm. Okay. I agree that if we can have the mandatory test and free society do it within one day, it will be more effective. But there is absolutely no evidence out there to say that if you don't do it in a mandatory way, freezing society, doing it within a few days' time, it is useless, as people say. It is going to be useful, I say. So you're saying well, that's how useful? Right. We don't having, know. having something is better than having nothing. No, see, if you say it is useless, give me the evidence that it is useless. Now, I'll give you some figures if you want to talk about science. Okay. Mm. A study in uh, Nature Medicine earlier in April uh, showed that the highest viral load in throat swabs, that's what we will be doing, was at the time of symptom onset, and they inferred that infectiousness peaked on or before symptom onset. So you can see that the disease starts to spread before people get symptomatic. Okay, and they further estimated that 44% of the infected cases got it while the index case, that is the one who spread it to them, was pre-symptomatic before they got symptom. So if I'm going to spread it to some people and they got a carrier of the virus, then just less than half of those who will be infected from me gets it before before I get symptoms. So is it not important to pick up these people when they are pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic? This is science. You talk about science, okay? It's okay. nothing political. Okay, Dr. Choi, are you, Dr. Choi, are you persuaded? Um, actually, two weeks ago, I wrote and asked the undersecretary for figures, like the sensitivity of the test, the specificity of the test, the course of the test, and so on. And up to now, I don't have a result, so it will be difficult for me to comment on whether the test is a good test or not a good test. Uh, but uh, actually, the, uh, the, the WHO have actually recently suggested that mask screening is not uh, very fruitful uh, 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 for this COVID test. And uh, also, the recent uh, Sweden uh, figures uh, showing a large number of false positives is also a concern, is also an issue of concern. On, the, on that point, uh, do we have any kind of estimate of false positive and false negative? I have said I have asked the undersecretary for the figures, but uh, up to now I don't have the figures. Right, because if there are false negatives, then the benefits that Dr. Lamb was referring to are, are not captured. But Can I intervene? Yes, yes please, sure. Yeah, answer, yeah. Okay. No test is 100% specific and 100% sensitive. All right. All tests in this world, in medicine, has a sub-perfect sensitivity and specificity. If we are looking only at if you don't score 100 marks, we don't do it, then you can do away with whatever test, whatever treatment in the world. Right, there wouldn't be any. All right. There wouldn't be any. 
Okay, it's very simple. All right. What are the uh, what are the consequences? And, and, and the point of a false positive rate. Okay, if you have a false positive case, then the pay, the the person will get notified. Well, probably you've got the virus, and then the CHP will get him and test it again. Okay, and a test of the CHP is okay. final. Right. Okay. So no one gets a positive test and get isolated, treated before it is confirmed by the CHP. So every day when you listen to the news, there are some confirmed cases and there are some professionally confirmed cases. What does that mean? All those professionally confirmed cases are tests not done by the CHP lab. They're done by, for instance, some private hospitals, by outside lab that's accredited by the government, but they are not, or even hospital authority. So the CHP doesn't even recognize hospital authority tests. They have to do their own tests for a confirmation. That is the only gold standard in Hong Kong. Doesn't mean that is correct, but that is the gold standard in Hong Kong. All right. So if you talk about false positive, the possibility is that yes, that is a false positive. But on the other hand, the other possibility is that that is a true positive. But the test of the so-called gold standard is a false negative. See, science is not always perfect as you wish it to be. Doctor Choi. I do not comment because I do not know the figures. But uh, there are good tests and they are not so good tests. So good tests give you a more uh, uh, better result than the not so good tests. But uh, right now I can't comment because I don't know the, the, the numbers uh, and the figures of the sanitation and specificity of the tests which will be done uh, by the three uh, or by the uh, China technicians. So uh, this, is, this will be difficult to comment. Dr. Lam, uh, yes. is it just basically too late now to separate the politics from the science? Aren't they completely meshed together now uh, in Hong Kong? And you could argue that, in fact, the, the administration made a mistake by tying this to the mainland authorities and stressing the role of the mainland authorities and the gratitude and everything like that because... Uh, because then it had become politicised and already you got uh, polarisation. Well, I think Hong Kong is polarised for a long time. But I'm a doctor, I'm not a politician. I don't want to talk about politics here. Okay, so starting from the very beginning this morning, I have only been talking about science, about medicine, and I'm emphasised that it's my personal opinion. So I'm not going into politics now. Yeah, but, uh, well, everyone else is. <laughs> it's kind of well, too late. That's, uh, I mean, for, for good or ill, that's, that's what's happened. Well, look at the States then. Look at the United States then. Is that politics or is that true racism? The black life matters. It depends how you look at it. Really. Mm-hmm. But still, I think we are doctors. We stick only on medicine and science. We know something is useful to society, then we promote it on a scientific basis. Okay. Simple. Okay. And there is another study, if you like. Um, you might recall that in New York, not in Hong Kong or China, New York, that's a hospital, an obstetrical hospital. They admitted a number of patients, over 200 pregnant ladies for delivery in April. And they did test for the MP swap for all of them to test for the COVID virus, COVID-19 virus. Uh, out of 210 uh, patients, they detected altogether 33 positivities. So which, this is quite a high number, over 10% were positive. However, out of those 33 patients, 29 were asymptomatic. So 29 of 33 patients did not have any symptom at all. 
when they got admitted to this New York hospital. Of course, they have a high prevalence in society in Hong Kong. They have a high prevalence in Hong Kong. But still, that means that we do have people running around in society, got absolutely no symptoms, and they are contagious. They can be contagious. I'm not saying every one of them. They can be contagious, and you have to pick them up. Now, there are several types of people out there. One, they are the ones who carry the virus. It doesn't have a symptom, and they cannot be tested because the virus load is too low. Two, the people who carry the virus, they, they don't have symptoms, and you can test them. You can find them positive because they do have a certain degree of viral load. The, the second group. The third group are those that have the virus. They are symptomatic, but mildly, very mildly. They won't go to see the doctor, but they can be picked up by this virus test. The fourth group are those who are sim very symptomatic, but you will find them anyway because they, they present themselves. And the final group is the post-symptomatic group. They have been done with their symptoms, whether they have been treated or not, but they do carry some virus or residual viruses, but they're no longer contagious. So out of these five groups, what you wish to pick up are those who carry the virus, they do not yet have symptoms, and they can be tested. Okay? And those who have mild symptoms, and they, they can be tested. Uh, and then you pick these people up. The second thing you do is contact tracing. So you're going to pick up someone who pick up the viruses from them. They do not have the symptoms yet, and they, the virus though is so low that you cannot detect it. But then you wouldn't let them go around. You go, go and say, okay, hello, now this one. You've got a test negative today, but because you are close contact, we may have to check it again a few days afterwards. So pick up even those who have a so low viral load at the moment that uh, you can't detect it at the moment, but maybe in a few days' time. So that is the way how you try and pick up most of the cases if possible, if possible, in society. And then you restart the economy and people's livelihood. See, that's the science. That's the policy. Okay. Perhaps you can help with uh, this query from a listener. This is from Herman, uh, who says, uh, As I am not an MD, I cannot judge the medical benefits or disadvantages of testing. But now that we have mass testing, what positive follow-ons can Hong Kong introduce, like contact tracing, which I am told would need universal testing to be truly effective? And if this is not correct, please explain why testing is unnecessary for contact tracing. What is the relationship between uh, the mass testing and, and contact tracing, uh, Dr. Lam? It is absolutely true. We need contact tracing. You pick up someone who is positive, and then you contact trace this person. Or the close contact where he has been has to be known. And in Hong Kong, it's no, it's no easy job. Okay, you, you have to ask him to dig out where he has been. And you really have to go back to his family and see how his family members are doing. Yeah, it's a lot of work, I'm sure. But that is the way to go, but, contact but, tracing, yes. But the contact tracing would be, that be made more... How would that... Uh, be related to the mass testing? Oh, yeah, the mass testing is something you pick up some people who wouldn't otherwise be found out to be a positive case. And then you start from there. That is an index case where you start the content tracing. Okay. Your question. All right. Okay. A couple more comments. Uh, Hugh says, hasn't it just deteriorated to the shameful level because somebody somewhere committed to doing it and now is fearful of refusing? After all, it's just money and we've got enough to waste. World City is world-class inept. That is from Hugh. Tom says, uh, signed up for the free COVID test. Looking around at the office today, uh, if China, instead of using its own 1.4 billion people, decides to use mine and my co-workers' DNA to clone new humans, the world is in a lot of trouble. That's uh, Tom's take. Um, thanks for that. Uh, Jeffrey on Facebook says, I am computer literate. 
and still not going to do the test. It's instant two-week jail if you have anything. I would rather take an immunity test. Uh, TC says, by choosing to not address practical shortcomings of the government's voluntary testing programmes and accusing these people, so-called experts in her words, of stirring the pot between Hong Kong and the central government, Carrie Lam flawlessly demonstrated how to make things overly political. There are legitimate concerns that have nothing to do with politics. That comes uh, from uh, TC. Uh, Dr Choi, uh, who made this political? Was it... uh Carrie Lam, or was it the Democrats? Uh, I'm not sure what the Democrats did, but the <clears throat> the experts who spoke out uh, uh, through the media are, are really experts in infectious disease. So uh, they are making their own comments, and I think it has uh, been politicized by Carrie Lam uh, to say that they smear China. So all these experts are now shutting up and... Uh, refusing to talk on this issue anymore. Mm. This is uh, very uh, saddening. Dr Choi, is, isn't, at the end of the day, isn't this really a matter of judgment that, that resources are limited, whether it's money or testing capacity, and there's an argument for focused testing, and there's also an argument for mass testing, and it's a question of where the balance of advantage lies uh, vis-a-vis those resources. I think the experts actually uh, agreed with mass testing, but not this type of uh, voluntary mass testing. And uh, they are uh, looking at uh, looking at the end of the day when the results will be uh, insufficient to really help to detect the uh, certain uh, infected people. So uh, they are just speaking out from their own experience, and uh, it's regrettable that Right, so they're not attacking the concept of mass testing. They're querying whether this is the best way of, of doing it. The technique and the way forward of the mass testing uh, uh, is questionable, uh, according to the experts. So they are just pointing out the deficiency in the, in the, in the screening program. Right. What happens then when, if someone phones me up and says, uh, we've just tested someone positive, and you uh, you had a, a meal with them last week. What happens to me in that case? Depends on depends on the uh, background of the meal. So whether uh, how long have you been in contact with the person? Whether how long uh, were you wearing the mask? How close were you with the with the contact? I think this uh, boils down to a good uh, contact tracing and contact tracing uh, as we. Uh, spoke just now is grossly uh, inadequate because there's not enough right. people around to do the testing. So people who are uh, uh, the doctors, some doctors who actually had a nurse who contracted the, the disease uh, or and then found himself a tested positive, was waiting in the office for about uh, one or two days or more uh, to be contacted by CHP to, uh, uh, to proceed further. So uh, this this contact tracing program has uh, inadequate uh, manpower. So mm. uh, if we find maybe uh, a few hundred uh, positive cases during the screening test, this will pose a, a, a great burden to the uh, uh, contact tracing team.
Well, let, let, let me just take it one little bit further. Let's say I was with this person for an hour having lunch and both of us were not wearing masks. Is this and, hypothetical or is this... This is hypothetical. This is hypothetical, okay. <laughs> Asking for a friend, yeah. I, think, <laughs> I was tested last week. Um, but then what happens to me? You turn up, you come and see me. Do I have to take a test or can I say, no, thank you, I don't, I don't want a test? No, if you have uh, proven a risk uh, uh, in contact, that, that is, you have been in contact with the person for a, period of, a significant period of time, then you, the CHP will require you to do the test. Is not, is then not a voluntary test. Oh, say, so I have to do it? You have to do it because uh, you, you are uh, at a high risk of uh, con contracting the disease. Okay. A couple more uh, comments to uh, finish off. Uh, Michael uh, says, Michael Mina of Harvard has proposed a 15-minute simple test that is cheap, $2, and can be used every day. Why can't we pilot this together with the other measures? That's a suggestion from Michael, uh, as I say. And Mike says, why is testing political? Here is one answer. Hundreds of millions of dollars spent to make us feel good. What do I mean by that? The best and biggest result from testing is to make the negative patients feel good. Positive patients wear masks and socially isolate. Wow, isn't that what we're doing now? It's spending money with little return. That is uh, from Mike. Thank you very much indeed for those uh, comments. Uh, uh, and uh, to uh, one more email here uh, from Alex, who says, if this testing's all Hong Kong people, good idea, then why holdings people after arrive airport until their test result received negative? I know doctor, but seeing why testing is all Hong Kong people is stupid. Reason we telling for testing all Hong Kong people not making sense. Government now dropping pants to pass wins for everything. You know my talkings. That's Alex's take. Alex, thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you to Dr David Lamb and to Dr Gabriel Choi. We're going to be talking about Donald Trump uh, after the news at uh, nine. We've got two Republicans with us here in the studio to fight it out. The uh, weather, sunny periods with isolated showers. 30 degrees now, humidity's 19 cases have been reported in the United States where 182,000 people have died and Brazil, which is only the second country to record more than 120,000 deaths. This morning, India has confirmed the world's highest one-day rise in infections, with well over 78,000 new cases. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Monday morning, first one of the week, with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverton. We were talking about the issue of uh, mass testing and the uh, uh, Universal Community Testing Program in the first part of the program. Uh, we're turning across the Pacific and looking at American politics again today and the chances of Donald Trump. We've talked a little bit about uh, Joe Biden as the uh, Democratic contender for the presidency. And now we're talking about the re-election chances of uh, Donald Trump. We're joined now by uh, uh, Chris Exline, who's a former chairman of Republicans Abroad, describes himself now as an independent, and uh, Dan Van Hoy, is a member of Republicans Overseas uh, Hong Kong. If you want to join in, best bet is to call us, 233-88266, and you can just, uh, just step in and uh, join the conversation. Uh, or you can uh, email us, backchat at rthk.hk, but I may have to uh, edit for length, uh, I warn you, and also uh, relevance. Uh, or you can comment on our Facebook page, and everyone can see uh, what you write there. Uh, just to kick us off, uh, David, uh, in an email, says, President Donald Trump is a disease trying to market himself as the cure. 
At the Republican National Convention, half the speakers were Trump's unelected family members who delivered another wild night of fear and lies and loathing, claiming with a straight face that only Trump's leadership could get them out of the COVID-19 hellhole, when in fact only his lack of leadership could ever have landed them in. That comes uh, from David. Uh, Dan Van Hoy, good morning to you and, and, and thanks for joining us. Um, why do you want Donald Trump to win and what do you think are his chances realistically? Hugh, there's a, a big difference between the two sides. It's huge. It's, it's a chasm. It's a chasm of vision for the future and f what the foundation will be for the future and based on the past as well. Uh, we're not on video, but I've got on the desk in front of me two objects. One is my grandparents' Bible. Uh, it's uh, big print, so you can read when you're older, right? And it's also huge. On my right, the right side, I have a, a container of sand. And to me, that reflects the choices. Uh, the United States was born of a foundation of Judeo-Christian faith and morality. And right now, we have a choice between maintaining that tradition and history that has made us a great nation, the United States a great nation, and shifting sand. It's easy to see that. I mean, Joe Biden, for example, was considered moderate a few years ago, and now he's been taken captive by the progressive left and brought into areas that nobody thought even the Democrat Party could go. So the contrast to me is very clear. Are we going to have a nation that is based on uh, a, mor a morality that comes from Judeo-Christian tradition, or are we going to have a nation that shifts its morals? Okay, well, uh, can I ask, if there is that chasm, has Donald Trump made that chasm wider or narrowed it? Um, Donald Trump hasn't widened the gap. I think we've seen a shift in the nation because of uh, a loss, a loss of, uh, of faith, a loss of values, a loss of spirituality. I mean, you look at the, the, the black family, for example, has been the subject of a lot of what we've talked about in the last few years. 70% of black homes don't have a father. And it used to be that the black community was rooted around the church and the values that they got at church. But it's drifted away, and the Democrats have promised for decades, uh, for example, focusing on the black community, they were going to do great things for the black community. We're going to pull them out of poverty. Trillions of dollars were, were poured into the black communities and other communities, and no results. And the violence we see today uh, has a root in this whole idea of sand, that uh, the values can shift and we can do what we want and we can use violence. Okay, and my second question, what are, actually do you think are his chances? Do you think he's going to win? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. can, can, can I ask then, um, I think I understand the chasm that you're talking about or in, within the terms that you've expressed it, but is Donald Trump a plausible representative of that Judeo-Christian tradition? Um, I would say, you know, it matters very much. Mike, you're a leader and uh, Chris here is a leader. Everything rises or falls on leadership. And uh, I think 
Trump has been able to gather around him a group of people who understand that the foundation that will make the USA successful is here in this book that I'm holding in my left hand, not in this pile of sand that I have on my, my right side. They understand this, and they're doing what they're doing based on these principles. Uh, and they've stuck with those principles. So Donald Trump, it's not just a matter of Trump himself. To be honest with you, I, I, a lot of things Trump says and does I don't like. I don't think I could work for him. Uh, it would be very tough. But you wouldn't work for very long for him. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. So it, it, let me just quote Alexis de Tocqueville here, uh, who was a great, astute observer of the United States, maybe one of the best from outside the United States, the Frenchman, aristocrat, politician, historian. He said, liberty cannot be established without morality, nor morality without faith. And that's basically what we're talking about. What do you have your faith in? What are you investing your faith in? Are you investing it in people or a system or a party? Or are you going to invest it in something that stood the test of time? Okay. Here's an email from uh, Larry uh, who says, Donald Trump apparently declared that Kamala Harris is not competent to be U.S. president and his daughter Ivanka would be a much better president. And there's a link. I'm waiting for him to say that his three sons and son-in-law would all be better future presidents than any other candidates. It cannot get any better. I heard from a Chinese friend that Trump's nickname in mainland China is Mr. Know-it-all. Need I say more? God save us all should he be re-elected by his know-it-all gun-waving die-hard fans. That comes... Uh, from uh, Larry. Chris Exline, uh, good morning to you. Morning. Thanks for, for joining us. Pleasure uh, to be back. Do you want Trump to be re-elected? And what, again, what do you think are his chances, realistically? Well, with all due respect to Dan, and who I've known for many years and have a lot of respect for, and the, the Bible, did you bring that from Lafayette Park? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's excellent. Um, you might want to give that to, to Donald Trump. He, I would be might, happy to. The, the big print might, might help him. <laughs> yeah. Tell him to hold my, it up the right way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my contempt for Donald Trump as a human or individual has no depth. Uh, you know, he, he has, you know, uh, no way of connecting with the people. And I think that he's not really uh, a leader. I call him 3D Donald for division, distraction and discord. And it's widely known that even though I was chairman of Republicans abroad, I was out loud and proud voting for Hillary Clinton four years ago. And when I've been looking at this election, it really it draws me back to 1992. Uh, you know, in 1992, Neil Kinnock was four days away from Downing Street. A tryst with destiny he failed to keep. And I think that Biden may be in the same place. It's Biden's election to lose. Um, and Biden may go down in history not only for copying Neil Kinnock's speeches, but copying Neil Kinnock's career. Um, based on the electoral map, you know, Joe Biden has everything in his favor. But as I look at it, and as we start examining this more and more, do I really want a prime minister, Nancy Pelosi? Do I really want Kamala Harris to be the president? And I am probably gay, leaning more towards voting for Donald Trump, uh, even though I, I, I just cannot fathom looking at the man. But I do believe that the team he has around him um, is a more competent team. And I take comfort in the fact that he doesn't actually work that much. He doesn't show up to the Oval Office until 11 or so. Um, and his work ethic, well, I guess ethic is not a word I'd use in a sentence <laughs> with Donald Trump. But, you know, I just I have more faith in the team uh, than I do in what would happen if Nancy Pelosi was actually um, in charge of the government. Now, I was impressed. Speaking of team, I was impressed with Mike Pence's uh, 
convention speech, his acceptance speech. I, I really I liked it better than Trump's, to be honest. <laughs> I thought it was very, very right on target and very well delivered. I like my, Mike Pence a lot. He's a, also a person of faith, deep faith. Uh, he was at the funeral of a well-known evangelist, Ravi Zacharias, recently, and he spoke so eloquently. So I agree with Chris. I'm I'm really not voting for for Donald Trump specifically. I'm voting for the team, and uh, and the future of the country. But it does get down to the electoral college, and if you look at this, it's it's really quite fascinating because you know when we were here four years ago, <laughs> you know, I mean it was uh, Hillary Clinton. I mean she was on her way to Mount Rushmore. Uh, to have her likeness carved in it, not just to give a photo op. And here you've got this tightening where you, in the American system, you have to get 270 votes in order, and those are electoral uh, votes. In, in based the electoral each, college, yeah. each state is given a certain number of votes based upon its representation in Congress. So, you know, states like California have 55. Uh, states like Texas have 38, which are massively influenced. Others like Wyoming and Vermont uh, have three. Um, and if you look at the map today, Biden's got about 242 and Trump's got 211. And if you look at four key states, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan and Florida, if Biden wins one of those or two of them, he's in. Trump has to win at least three. And so, you know, I think the difference this this time around is that Trump has actually got a much greater deficit to overcome. He does not have the element of surprise that he had before. Uh, the Biden team is is not, you know, uh, running out the clock like Hillary's does. On the converse, you've got this amazing dynamic where uh, Trump actually has a world-class organization on the ground. This has got zero coverage. But you look in Ohio, he has more more field offices, more field operators, and they're out there canvassing every day. Um, and on the other side, the big thing that's going to, you know, it, you know, right now, Joe Biden, and this is unprecedented in our, our times, he's living in this incubated environment of his basement. Uh, at some point, he's got to emerge into the, you know, in the, the clear light of day, which will be much more glaring. And, you know, you look at once he starts speaking, Trump can sit there and make thousands of gaffes and nobody cares. It's a given. Uh, you know, Biden speaks, makes a gaffe, and it engenders this succession of struggles with everyone chattering about his mental acuity. You know, is he is he is he is he days away from the asylum? All right, let me drag you back to Trump. Um, oh, okay. uh, I mean, do you, do you see the same kind of chasm that that Dan was talking about there? Do you see the same kind of polarization, the same split? And again, do you think that Donald Trump is the person to, to make that less, or do you think that he's going to make it wider, amplified, more acute? More cute. Thank you. Uh, amplified, more, more accentuated. I mean, then uh, how can that be a good thing for America? You, Joe Biden's a decent man, but I look at America today, and does does America want decency, dignity, decorum? Um, apparently not. Apparently not. I mean, you, I look at it. You know, at, Dan's lived here for twenty years. I've lived here for twenty two, twenty three years. You look at America today. We go back there, and it's basically just this confederation of constituencies clamoring for candidates to reinforce pre existing beliefs. Hmm. And I see. You know, and and Donald Trump has has made that his strategy, uh, for lack of a better word, of you know, just playing to his base and always going after attacking or going against somebody else. I don't think that's the role of the United States president. But you look at Biden and his whole week of the convention was more like a memorial service for a decent man uh, than it was a manifesto. And it did. Well, that was that was going to be my next question. In fact, that there isn't a 2020 manifesto. It's, no. We're going to do the 2016 one again. 
Right. They did. They didn't uh, come up with a new uh, right. uh, platform. It's they used the 2016 platform. In fact, there's a, there's a uh, uh, like a disclaimer in the whereas if you put a, a motion to uh, amend the 2016 uh, uh, you know, platform, it won't be uh, entertained. So it's quite interesting to see that. What about Nancy Pelosi's idea that Biden shouldn't debate Trump? <laughs> of course, she doesn't want him to debate. I think you know, most Democrats know for that. He's probably not going to win those debates. Biden will not win. But I think we would all say that of the debates last time, Hillary won all three, you know, at, four years ago. I think, and she was a, a, a brilliantly prepared. She knew the talking points. And that whole thing where you have this orangutan, you have the, uh, Donald Trump just kind of motioning around her, you know, uh, trying to intimidate her. I think Biden will do well in the debates because it's a one-on-one. -on -one. But again, I think that it won't it won't really help. Um, I think three debates is probably too many for him, and I think that it's going to give Donald Trump just the ability to attack and play to the base. I don't think it'll mobilize voters out for Biden. Right. Okay. Okay. A uh, couple of uh, comments. Yeah. Uh, an email, first of all, from Martin, who says the U.S. under President Trump has turned fascist, claiming worldwide U.S. hegemony through lies, coercion, threats, regime change, and brute force, weaponizing international institutions, the U.S. legal, trade, financial systems, and the media machine through the Council on Foreign Relations against any country that doesn't follow the U.S. government's policies. If that doesn't work, the U.S. funds opposition forces or deploys its U.S. military and its intelligence agencies to destabilize the opposing country even if those are allies. 80 years ago, the West and China were able to stand up and join forces against fascist Germany and Japan. However, as demonstrated by recent actions and statements by the Five Eyes and other countries this time around, they would just go along with it by yielding to a fascist USA. That is the view of Martin. Thanks very much indeed for that. Back well, to .hk. Yeah, Mar Martin, uh, thank you for a beautifully written and uh, prepared email. I, I don't really think in these days and times that, that that's, that's the most appropriate thing to say. And I, I would, if you want to go back to the 1940s, I don't think that anybody in the central government would want to hold up a Chiang Kai-shek, who was the leader of China at the time, as somebody walking hand in hand with the United States and the West. Um, but it, it, with that, what Martin's email underscores is what I just said. You know, you have these confederation of constituencies that are only wanting to project what they want to hear, and they only want to hear what reinforces their beliefs, you know, without really thinking about it. I mean, in this day and time, does anyone want to have a poster of Chiang Kai-shek up as someone who was leading the way? Well, he, he was an ally of America well, in World War II. According to Martin, yes, he was. But I don't think, you know, in today's environment, no one is going to look up to Chiang Kai-shek and, and what he did for the China resistance or the Flying Tigers um, as a, a model going forward. Okay. These are just unprecedented times. All right. Uh, a couple of comments. Uh, Hugh uh, is not happy. Uh, he <laughs> says... Uh, uh, the remarks on black families and the Judean Christian indicate that the speaker is racist. Uh, and uh, also says, how valid are the vapid spoutings of two Americans who have chosen to live away from the USA? Come on, Backchat, you can do better. That's what, uh, Hugh, you uh, before you move on, yeah. I grew up, and I forgot to mention this last time I was on, I grew up in a housing project with black kids and Asian kids and others in uh, near Seattle, it's a place called Salishan in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, my father was out of the picture for a couple years. Some of my best friends were black kids. My best friend was a black kid. My bike got stolen once. He found out who took the bike and got it back for me. 
So uh, there's not a racist there, bone is, in my body. Okay. There, can I ask then, is there room in the Judeo-Christian uh, faction there for black people? Of course. Of course. You did, go take a look at the Republican convention online. A significant number of the speakers were black people, including the uh, attorney general of Kentucky. He made a wonderful speech. Uh, Trump recently has pardoned some black people who didn't deserve to be where they were in prison. Uh, this idea that Trump is racist and that the U.S. is systemically racist is totally false. Well, okay. there, there is. Right, there, we've got, we got a caller on the line. Uh, okay. Mike. Mike is on the line now. Mike, good morning to you. Well, I, I've been having, Hugh, I've been having to listen to this for the last 20 minutes, and i got to go take a blood pressure pill. Um, you guys have been talking about the personality, and you've just started talking about the policy. If you look at Mr. Uh, 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 President Trump's policies for the last four years and what he has done for people, all people in America, I think it's only the globalists that really would, would love to see him leave. And it's the globalist-type policies that, um, that, that the average American really don't, they don't like. And that's his base. And um, um, really, I'm, I'm one of the base. I don't particularly like the personality, so I, could, uh, so I can associate. But his policies, nobody wants to talk about because that... Uh, is something that nobody can find negative things about. And to have you, to listen to you guys go on uh, talking about his personality just is, uh, just is, it, it's atrocious. Well, I, no, I, I, fair I enough. It's not much. atrocious. It's not atrocious. It's just a, I mean, Trump's personality uh, is, is what defines him in office. Now, if yes, you want to, no. excuse me, if, if you want to talk about policy, let's go for it. Um, you had 20 minutes. You had 20 minutes. Uh, and I'm going to hang up in a minute, but I wanted to talk about RTHK for a second. If you listen to, if you listen to the news, the English news and RTHK, everything that they talk about is just like the uh, the the mainstream media. It is everything negative. You don't listen to the people that really that he's helped, but you listen to all the mayors and all the Democratic mayors and all the Democratic governors and. You don't hear a, a um, how can I say, it's not a fair play, it's not a level playing field because you hear nothing positive. I think Everything. you're you're you're, you're probably right in a lot of areas Mike. In fact, uh, the as I think all of us are aware, Democrat, Republican or anybody, uh, the the economy was doing fantastic before COVID came. The economy in the US was fantastic. Lowest unemployment in the black community, Hispanic community in history. Women uh, low unemployment was fantastic, and then COVID came along and uh, brought a lot of that. And, and Trump, Trump did a lot of uh, positive things, and in the headwind uh, of all these attacks on him by the Republican, I mean by the Democrat Party. So yeah, he did accomplish a lot. You're correct. And, and I would say that the economy is doing much better than it would have had Hillary Clinton been elected. I think that he has done a tremendous amount of getting rid of regulations uh, that people don't talk about. He's really uh, streamlined a lot of the government uh, to get rid of a lot of regulations. And he's uh, he's basically taken on a lot of the mentality of entitlement that the civil service had. So I, I give him credit for that as well. And I think Mike, the, I, I go, don't know what go. you're complaining about. We've got we've got two. We've got now we've got three people on the line joining us who say that they're going to vote for Trump. But I mean, uh, but a, a lot of people. Yeah, but you've got one 
but a lot of people a lot of people will say I'm, I'm sorry but he's been completely disastrous when it comes to covid that is just mind-boggling the failure the massive failure of the you richest know, country you know, in the world you know, he, and the arrogance that he expressed and the the incredible mistakes that he made and, and talking about you know how the, the disease would disappear and everything like that um, that's January, that's mind-boggling. You know? It's mind-boggling mm -hmm. to Go many people that the the, the, uh, the incumbent president in such a situation, such a total failure of public resources and, and public actions, stands any chance at all. That Mike? is completely incorrect. Go back to <laughs> January when he was the only one that wanted to stop uh, 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 the imp uh, people from tra traveling from from China. All he over by Easter, wasn't it? Wanted to stop, and yeah. uh, the, the other the. I mean, it would have been a lot more disastrous. You knew how, uh, what kind of flack he took. So, Mike, he got one thing right. What about February? What about March? What about April? As well, soon as it gets warmer, the virus is Mike, going to you disappear. Tell what, you tell me what you would do. You didn't even want to put on a mask. I, you tell me what you would have done. I'm still in that boat. <laughs> but he's wearing yeah. a mask, Mike. I'm he's wearing, wearing a mask. mask today. Yes, but see, I, you hear the criticism, but I'm going, it's 2020. Hind, you know, hindsight is 2020. What would you have done in those situations? I would and, have watched what other countries were doing and which ones were working and which ones were failing, and I would try to copy the ones where things were working. Oh, Sweden, that's that didn't have a lockdown. Nope. Is that what you would have why is it so much worse? Can I, I ask, ask you, Mike, very, many thanks for your call. Okay. Well, why, why is it so much worse? Why is COVID so much worse in, in America than in, in other developed countries? Isn't that down to Trump? I think that requires a whole show, hour-long no, show, it, Hugh. I think it's pretty simple. I, uh, what you have is Trump's style is, is maybe a practice to manage by reaction, but that's not a policy. Uh, and Trump, even in the art of the deal, talks about managing by reaction by going in there and keeping options open and seeing what's there. And and it was a lack of a consistent policy. Uh, it was first in the federal government, then down to the states, then down to the municipalities, then back up to the states and back to the federal government. So it was quite inconsistent. But, you know, it's again, it's a big country and it was bound to have a, a, a lot of problems. And the U.S. government cannot impose a, a lockdown like like China. did. And the reality is the president's power is limited, both in the situation, the big two big situations now, the violence and the covid. Most of that is on the, the, the cities, the counties, the states. It's their responsibility. They're making the major decisions, and there's nothing the president can do other than say, I'm here if you need help. In both situations, just like he said to the Portland mayor for the last three-plus months, I'll come and help. I'll put this violence to an end. And now we have a death of someone just uh, last night in a beautiful city. I, I hear what you say, but I, I don't remember Trump ever saying, we've got to take this more seriously than you're saying. This is, a, this is a national emergency. He was never the one pressing right. for a stronger reaction. Um, he was always the one remember, it off. He was always the one playing it down. No, he wasn't. Fauci did in the beginning, too. And that's thing, he took advice from Fauci and the others. Fauci, in the, in the beginning, I remember Fauci saying, oh, you don't really need to wear masks. And Fauci said in January, this isn't going to be a big problem for us. So why do you blame Trump solely? He's trying to get the best and advice. Now you're blaming Fauci. <laughs> well, he's. I, I agree. Fauci made a lot of stupid mistakes. He revisited. <laughs> Fauci <laughs> changed his mind when circumstances. Okay, Trump has two. Trump has two. Hugh, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. I'm 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 out of water. Can I get some bleach? <laughs> <laughs>
right. about some sand? I've got uh, sand no, 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 here, I, Chris. I think bleach will be a little bit better, thanks. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alan, in an email, says, the last 20 minutes you have a love fest for Trump a bunch of Republicans, and to cap it, the inevitable American Mike, all parroting the usual Republican talking points. What is this, Fox and Friends? Please bring back the woo-mow. Some listeners from. don't listen very well, Chris. They, well, I, I, you and I can talk about that at the country club when we're done, okay? Um, you know, I, <laughs> okay. Uh, somebody who signs themselves anti-Mike uh, says, I don't really... I don't, I, I, I don't want to broadcast insults for individuals, so I'll try and edit this. But Anti-Mike says, message for Mike, if you don't like RTHK Radio 3, don't listen to it. Uh, I need blood pressure pills after having listened to you. Uh, <laughs> Hugh eloquently illustrated the failings of the orange buffoon. People who support him are... I don't know how they pronounce that, are. Uh, thanks, <laughs> Anti-Mike. Uh, Greg says, Mike Rouse asked the wrong question about the panel's Judeo-Christian line. He should have asked, is there room for Muslims and atheists uh, in this Bible Belt utopia? Well, Absolutely. As, as an evangelical Christian and someone who's gay, I can tell you that it's inclusive, okay? You know, Christ won more people through compassion than he ever did through condemnation. All right, and so I don't want this to be a Judeo-Christian type of uh, uh, forum. It's, it's really just, that's one, one element of it. But as far as inclusivity goes, I mean, people... It's very inclusive. We have to have a moral framework for society. Somebody's values are going to prevail. Well, that's we the Constitution. Yeah, well, okay. Whatever society it is, whether the U.S., whatever, there's a moral framework at which we all agree this is how we're going to mm -hmm. live our lives, and that's it. It may be imposed on us from up above, or it may be from, under, uh, from, from the people, as it is in the U.S., with the Constitution. Grassroots. From the soil. Absolutely. <laughs> Some more comments to finish off. Martin says, uh, who, who emailed earlier, uh, Trump admitted on Fox Business his real plan for Hong Kong, the destruction of our city, that its markets will go to hell, and he wants to see its business shifted to New York and London. Uh, I wonder what the Republicans abroad think of the, this plan. Uh, S says, for Trump, I think he's really stood up for his country than any other politician. Cause should we judge what he's like as a person or what he and his team has done for his country? As a leader, he has the drive, the vision, and the guts to be blunt and frank. That is from uh, S. Richard II says, Trump is using the evangelicals to achieve two things. First, ignorance in the population, with Betsy DeVos driving a private Christian madrasa agenda, which ensures the population remain ignorant and fearful. The whole evangelical Christian agenda is to drive the rest of the world to adhere to their bronze age myths and Trump is smart enough to use that to steal even more from the American population. The second thing Trump wants is to establish a private counter to the state that will ensure his family continue to plunder America morally and economically. <laughs> Listening to you, your two speakers is like watching two contortionists. How wonderful are his team? All evangelical Christians who believe they're going up to heaven and nothing else is important. Whatever has happened to a recognition that the world is seriously threatened and such people simply deny it. Humanity cannot afford such myths anymore. Enough already. That is from uh, Richard II. Thank you very much indeed for those uh, comments. One more from... Uh, Richard II's uh, life didn't end well, if I remember <laughs> Shakespeare. 
I can't remember the second. The third I know, but I'm not sure. No, second. Right, um, uh, S says, uh, it's too early to judge which country has done well in response of COVID, but there's one thing that true statistics come out of America so the world gets a real picture. Every country will be criticised for COVID. If you close, you affect the economy. If you open, there are other consequences, and a lot depends on the behaviour of the citizens. Do not blame everything on leaders. That comes from S. Thank you very much indeed for uh, uh, all those comments, and thank you very much indeed to our guests this morning for thank a you. lively discussion. Thanks. To uh, Chris Exline, former chairman of uh, Republicans Abroad Hong Kong, and uh, Dan Van Hoy, who's a member now of uh, Republicans Overseas. Um, thanks very much indeed. And Mike, for many thanks to you. Fundamentalists uh, for us. Okay, a couple more comments. <laughs> Just go out and vote. I think we should change the name of the program to Mondays with Mike. <laughs> How about that? A couple more comments. Uh, Every day is with Mike. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, Paul Zimmerman says, in the absence, this is referring to our earlier discussion, the first part of the program, in the absence of science, politics thrive. And Bowen says, Professor Yun Kwok Yun advocated increasing the testing numbers, specifically of uh, vulnerable and specially targeted groups, many months ago. Warnings were also raised about the large numbers of exempted people who were let into Hong Kong without testing. Yet both suggestions went unheeded, and we had the significant third wave with catastrophic consequences. Now that we are down to 10 or 20 new cases a day, naturally everybody will think boosting the testing now is shutting the stable door after the horse has bolted. Very few, if any, have called the current mass testing campaign useless. Certainly not anyone from the medical sector, which has been inexplicably lambasted by the chief executive for smearing the central government and seeking to sever Hong Kong's relations with the central government, unquote. So the real question is not whether the campaign is useless, as one doctor on your show alleged it was. The question is that if we need to do it, why are we doing it? Only after so many months after Professor Yuan and others have suggested doing it, albeit in a different and more focused way. The other question, of course, is whether it's worth the huge costs involved. When major questions as obvious as these go unanswered, it's not right to accuse people for having suspicions. That is the view of Bowen. Thank you very much indeed for that. That's about it for the uh, programme today. Leaving you now with the weather. Sunny periods forecast for today with isolated showers and some thunderstorms. It's going to be very hot. Temperatures up to about 33 degrees with light winds. The very hot weather in water. Warning in place now 30 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is at 73%. Due to the volatile COVID-19 situation, the public should stay at home and avoid going out, in particular elderly persons, as they have higher risk of severe illness. Family and friends should help them with shopping and other daily needs. If elderly persons must go out, they need to wear a mask and wash hands frequently. Pay attention to the latest situation. See your doctor promptly if feeling unwell, even if the symptoms are mild. Let's fight the virus together. I'm 34, the news now with Samantha Butler. An infectious disease expert says the government's claim that mass coronavirus testing can help Hong Kong open up more quickly isn't true because if the scheme reveals a large number of asymptomatic carriers, it would probably make authorities more cautious. Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong also says the number of cases in Hong Kong should be at zero before authorities relax any more social distancing measures. A senior official in Wisconsin says the U.S. state doesn't want a visit from President Trump tomorrow. The White House said the president would survey damage from recent riots in the city of Kenosha, where police officers shot an unarmed black man, Jacob Blake, a week ago. And official figures show China's factory activity expanded at a slightly slower pace in August, missing analysts' expectations, dragged lower by disruptions from floods. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock.